Ah, oh, skeet, skeet, got it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Move! Ah, get out! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good morning and welcome to Downloadable Coffee Dallas. I'm not your host, but I am going to be today's guest. And I'm joining today David, Rebecca, Daniel, and Michael. Hello. The podcast is where we recap the game events happening around the DFW area and beyond, as well as look back at the topics that took over the VGOCC last week. Yeah, awesome. And so, who are, who, are you? who is our guest? Oh, I, well, I am Scott Mokes. <laughs> and I am your guest today. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, welcome, Scott. Welcome, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. As he said, this is where we're going to recap what happened up. But first, let's take a look at past events. Uh, so there's only one past event, and that was November 12th. That was D-Stops, or Dallas Society of Plays local multiplayer hangout and indie game expo, which took place at New Coworking. It was potluck style. Uh, Daniel and I was there. Did you guys get a chance? Because I, I bounced early. No? They had some really interesting games. There was one that had, like, cats that stuck all over the place. I think it was just called Sticky Cats. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It's called Sticky Cats. And then there was another, there was uh, one other that I saw. <laughs> where you guys had to build up, like, Godzilla's... A sexy robot. <laughs> For oh, Godzilla? Yeah. So it's... it's I guess there are a couple of mechanics in play. You had to build a sexy robot, okay. and you had to build it as fast as you could while driving it and racing it to the end to be the first one to seduce Godzilla at the end of the <laughs> Oh, my God. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it, who made that? Um, I don't actually know who made it. Um, I don't think it was local. Oh, they, okay. they actually didn't say like who made what game, okay. unless the developers. So they had some developer game that weren't local there to play, but they also had a lot of local developers, and mm-hmm. not everybody was like taking credit for their games. It's, it was a big socializing event. And somebody came with uh, a chili, <laughs> a crock pot full of chili. Nice. You brought pizza rolls. Today. I did bring pizza rolls. <laughs> pizza rolls, like boss. Oh, I yeah. forgot how much I love. Wait, so I need to go back to the Godzilla game. <laughs> Hold on, let's go here. back. Uh, so, was winning just who got to Godzilla first, or was there a scoring system for how sexy system. your robot yeah. was? So, you had to pick up, so there were like normal body parts that just looked like robot dinosaur body parts, okay. like legs and stuff that you had to piece together, but you would find sexy, quote unquote, um, for those of you who can't see my face uh, or my hands, um, <laughs> apparel. So, you'd find like, like fancy, like, Southern looking hats and uh, high heels and stuff. And, <laughs> and all the sexy apparel would score a certain amount of points based on how high up uh, you had uh, stuck it to the, okay. to your robot. So you had to you had to get a wide enough base to maintain because it's very easy to because some of the parts you attach like wheels and jet engines and stuff will throw you off balance and you'll just fall over. Yeah. Um, you get points based on how tall, like... Okay, so it's a bit of a balance game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So um, there's, like, a, a whole bunch of different metrics on it entirely. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was that that was one of the games. Is so that just to make sure that your robot can dance with Godzilla? Doesn't have to dance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, you definitely you get the most points if you're... Well, you get, like, plus 1,000 if you're to the end first, and you get plus 1,000 if you're the tallest. 
And then there's a bunch of other stuff that goes in there. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so that's what happened last week. Here's what's coming up. Upcoming events. 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 This says it's tentatively, uh, tentatively scheduled, and it is. The, uh, so remember how Arlington is opening up the new esports arena? Yeah. Uh, they're going to also be hosting the esports champion series season six, and that is on November 24th and November 25th. Uh, so that's going to be out there. Mm-hmm. That's those are Saturdays and Sunday. Do we know what games are being played? Uh, oh, yes, we did until I shut down the thing. <laughs> Anything with sexy dinosaurs? It's Counter Strike. Global offense. Uh, not Jesus Christ global offensive. No. <laughs> not I Jesus. downloaded Follow JC Go, but I couldn't you play did, it because it's almost entirely in Italian. Oh. <laughs> Wait, th- this is an actual thing? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, please tell me. The Vatican made a Pokemon Go game, mm-hmm. and it's called, what is it, Follow Jesus Christ? Follow JC Go. Follow JC Go. Follow. Follow. Yeah. I thought it was Follow. Follow. Yeah. <laughs> like it's actually watching the spiral down <laughs> of the savior of the world, too. Just like, Vagabond. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking maybe it's like the history leading up to the crucifixion. No, I don't, but, I don't know. So it doesn't, you don't get to fight anybody or anything like that. You just collect apostles. You go, you go and pray for people and, and things like that. And that's how you gain points. Can you battle? Once, like, no battle. battle. <laughs> no, no battling. So once you're done, once you're done gathering all of the apostles, you guys get to go follow J- JC. But see, the, the crazy thing to me is that everything that I heard about this game was the Vatican trying to appeal to children yep. and like get which, um, but like getting like trying to get more people uh, interested in oh yeah Catholicism and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. If it's only in Italian, then yeah. like unless I just need to localization, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I booted it up, there was like there was like a warning in English, but all the instructions were in Italian, and I flipped through several pages of pages. I just, that's that's crazy to me that they would they would not have it localized. We're They're not, trying to modernize. Anyway, anyways, <laughs> wait, I got one more event. It's not in Latin. I've also got <laughs> it's in Italian. Yeah. Guys, don't well, I've got. Okay, let me get let me get through the rest of this, Sorry. and then we'll, we'll go into the. Uh, then on November thirtieth, you're gonna have the Student Game Developers Alliance at UTD is teaming up with Dallas Society of Play to do a fall game kickoff. And that is on November 30th at UTD and starts at 7 p.m. It's going to go on until Sunday. It's another game jam. So if you want to get another game underneath your belt, join another team, do a little networking, it's a great event to go to. Uh, And then upcoming conferences, we have South by Southwest coming up, which is March 15th to the 17th at the Austin Convention Center. And then, of course, the Game Developer Conference, which is March 18th to the 22nd. Uh, so back-to-back conferences there. And that's everything we have. Uh, there's also the SGDA and the Animation Guild uh, are also hosting a panel and portfolio review event on December 1st on the UTD campus as well. Oh, okay. That's cool. uh, which sounds like it's in the middle of that game jam. Where, where can they where can we find information on Because most of everything that I pull from is usually from like Facebook events going through. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, anything like a meetup that pops up on my dashboard, is this uh, an Eventbrite thing that we can check out? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I've just been helping them find volunteers. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so we'll keep an eye out 
And once that's announced, we'll uh, get it up on our Facebook page, which yeah. is quickly becoming a community board. Also, next week is the last Tuesday of the month, right? Yes, that's right. It's our beer club coming up, which Scott sometimes comes to. So uh, come join us. Come join us. We, we put that together because we know some people can't come to our morning coffee clubs. So join us there. It's always a great time. And after the after our like hour, hour and a half discussion, uh, you can normally play some games because Brain Dead Brewing, which is where we host it at, usually has some retro consoles that you can play from. Isn't it weird to call them retro consoles? Mm-hmm. It's a Nintendo 64. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what, 20 years? <laughs> yeah. Something like that now, right? Yeah, yeah. It um, is upsetting. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, the anticipation leading up to its release was, was real. Like, I feel like I waited forever yes. for N64 to come out. Well, yeah. where, so where's the threshold where a console becomes retro? Right? I guess it's like a console becomes retro when they start making mini versions of it. Well, if that's true, then why was the, when the GameCube and stuff was out, why was the Atari still retro? I have no idea. Was I, it still retro? I feel like once you're a couple of generations past, like... Two, PS, three generations? The, the PS2 I'd call retro now. It's not, you can't buy, they're not no longer making games uh, for it. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, you can maybe bought, you can't buy them new in stores anymore. Mm-hmm. That's true, but I, I do think there actually are some companies still making games for it. Really? Yeah. That is, I think, the like, most successful console in history. PS2? Yeah. I'm not going to be surprised if that's the truth. I don't know. Put I mean, it as a research project. Looking at that GameStop bin of <laughs> games before they, before they discontinued that bin for PS2 and the original Xbox. That was filled with quite a lot of games. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some gems, some uh, not yeah, so much. Once there are children born after the next generation comes out, they can already, like, talk. All right, let's let's uh let's just I, I'm feeling old now. Let's just back up and let's go ahead and jump into our recap. Recap. Uh, so I guess we have a recap theme. <laughs> yeah, that was a great recap. <laughs> I love it. Trey, yeah. boost that trend. <laughs> <laughs> stuff. Sorry. <laughs> He has a wonderful bumper for it already. I just happened to. Can you get a witch cackle to cover my first thing? <laughs> <laughs> Although your duck sound. <laughs> so we're gonna kick this off with uh, a little bit of sad news. Uh, last week, Stan Lee, the kind of maker of Marvel Universe, has passed away. He passed away at ninety-five. So we'll take a moment of silence for him, and we're done. And so um, it's really sad to kind of kind of hear that you know he's informed like a generation like he created a lot of things there um so his past uh following up on that we got we, we left the depressing talk to talk about detective pikachu which yeah. came out ryan reynolds is playing pikachu uh so, it strikes me as a big dr doolittle with pokemon to be honest i mean i'm sold i saw that trailer <laughs> and i was like i'm in so i i had heard rumors when they first announced <clears throat> Uh, Detective Pikachu, that David Tennant was playing Pikachu. See, I heard Danny DeVito, and I was totally down for. Oh, Danny I DeVito. heard so. I heard there was a petition <laughs> trying to get Danny DeVito there is a, playing Pikachu, which would have been hilarious. There is so. a trailer that uh, somebody took the trailer and substituted Danny DeVito really? from like really? some of his. Uh, what's that one? Sunny in oh, Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah, they they take some of his stuff in there. Yeah, <laughs> but, but Joe Pesci would also be amazing. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Can someone explain to me, like, what is Detective Pikachu? How does it fall into the Pokemon story? Where did it come from? I feel like it's a bizarre... Yeah, so... It is. I, okay. I, I don't know the origins, but I remember seeing... Because the, there was a game, right? I don't know. There was at least an anime, or there yeah. was, yes, there was, because there's, there's, he's the, he's the master of I, Detective Pikachu. I, I know that there, uh, there was something animated and or 3D modeled, whatever, ahead of this live action movie, because I remember seeing trailers for that. Well, that's it. I feel like I've been hearing about Detective Pikachu yeah. for a while. Yeah. And then... <clears throat> it went but, silent for a while. Too. Yeah. And then this trailer came out, and it was like, oh, Maybe. okay, so it's putting so, a yeah, lot so of work There's a this. video game. It's an adventure game that was developed for uh, 3DS. I thought it was a 3DS. Uh, like, uh, like Phoenix Raid? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm pulling it up right now, so I don't know exactly. It came out 2016, February 3rd. Man, that was a classic. There you go. <laughs> so it was probably two years ago that we were hearing about yeah, it, and then yeah. everything went silent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, like, the Pikachu in that was, like, a gruff-talking Pikachu, and it was, like, the weirdest, like, changeover, but I guess it was, like, popular enough and or a weird enough concept they were like let's make a movie out of this and it's then Ryan Reynolds out. was like I'm in yeah sure. <laughs> I mean, but but did you see the the compilation like people had already made like joking like Deadpool versions of Pikachu and they're like now this is canon um, and so you know but it would make sense because like Deadpool is like one of the people that is yeah, very yeah. well aware like he's in the comic, fourth wall yeah he's like he's very aware aware of it I'm, I will laugh the next Deadpool movie has like some reference to people. Oh, it definitely will. Oh, it already right. makes oh, references, yeah. uh, making fun of like all of Ryan Reynolds' password. Yes. Kind of oh man. So okay. So that was one. Uh, then we have Sony is skipping E3 next year, which is kind of a big thing. What what we were mentioning was just <laughs> kind of like uh, what happened at Sony's last press conference, where you had the guy who. But they were shuff- they were shuffling people back and forth between like a tent and whatever. And it, was it was so, so like, weird. It was so nerve wracking <laughs> that it sent one reporter into a heart attack. Really, a panic attack, and and then he had to be like escorted out. It was like really bad. As Sony's press conference this year was just like really really bad. Yeah, it, it opened up with like guitar playing into this one like wooded tent area. I it's like 15 minutes of guitar playing as well. And they did that specifically it. for The Last of Us 2. And then as soon as that trailer was on, they spent half an hour shuffling everybody over to a different stage. Right. Wait, and, and then they did a very similar thing with the next game. Right. Um, was that the one with the with the, the samurai and the yes. guy who was playing the flute at the uh, beginning? Is it Ghost of... Uh, no. A little bit of theatrics. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of uh, major... Uh, Publishers now that are doing their own mini E3 separately from E3 entirely. And I think Sony's the first like giant one to really do it. I think yeah, Sam yeah, yeah. has been doing it for forever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah Blizzard, they're BlizzCon. Like, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Guess, yeah. But Blizzard doesn't announce things at E3, right? They announce things at BlizzCon. Yeah, well, that, that's the, that's what you're saying. Like, yeah. more and more, more and more are breaking away because they're not liking that, I mean, that format. As far as, there was a period of time where we were getting, like, the Sony conference and then E3. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of developers, that's kind of unsustainable because you're having to make a lot of, like, special game, you know, game stuff to get your, your fanciest trailer out and your newest gameplay stuff so that they can have something to show. And if you're trying to do that for two shows a year, 
that's a huge chunk of your development time that's lost there. Yeah. Plus <clears throat> Tokyo Game Show and mm -hmm. I just did right. Well, is it always developers that like, yeah. go? Isn't it like some people out of marketing that go to? Yeah, I mean, so E3 like, is is like to sell, or it started to sell uh, like GameStop and EV Games and yeah. companies like that to buy physical copies of their games, but then sell the game. Right, right. And it's like, I read an article too talking about E3's just history, how it's gone mm -hmm. from like, it was <laughs> at first no open event to people, then it went to just, to just reporters, and it went to like very much closed door and then it opened back up to consumers again. Um, so I, I, it's had a weird history as well of things that just didn't really work out. Uh, then we have certain Telltale games have been removed from stream. Oh, the last one was from Concocted. This is from IGN.com. Uh, certain Telltale games have been removed from Steam as the developer prepares to shut down completely. So what what games have been? Uh, Walking Dead Two. A lot so, of so like were they like placeholder games, or you mean like the actual games are just being removed from Steam? The actual games are being removed. That from seems Steam. like a weird thing to do, just because. Wait, the, I thought Walking uh, Dead Two wasn't finished. Walking Dead is not finished. No, Hold on. I'm dragging up the article because it, it just it seems weird that I guess unless you're unless Telltale just is saying they no longer want to make any money whatsoever yeah. um, but like they have lots of employee back pay that they're probably going to have to pay so they got to make the money somehow <laughs> that seem bizarre. It, just, it seems bizarre that they would pull games that are already out there and that like have been on the platform for a while versus because usually the only time people would pull off of Steam is if they're Oof. going to be selling somewhere else that you might know? be the case because they don't They very few of their intellectual property is actually owned by them yeah, that's what I was about to say. So it says here that the ones that have been removed is The Walking Dead, Back to the Future, Tales of Monkey Island have been removed, with other titles such as Batman, Guardians of the Galaxy, Tales of the Borderlands, and Game of Thrones are still available for purchase. So I guess it's just... The other thing this article... But, like, AMC doesn't have a game delivery platform, so, like... Wait, so they did remove So they did remove The Walking Dead, yes. Okay. Uh, it's also showing, they're also talking, this article also talks about how they're liquidating everything. And it's mentioning in here that the health insurance, which normally when you get laid off, you have about 18 months of health insurance that goes with it. Due to the way that they're liquidating and, and selling a lot of their assets, that option is most likely will well, be of course not for everybody. They, yeah. they didn't take care of, I mean, they, yeah, like. Essentially bankrupt. Yeah. 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 Um. Can't afford to pay severance either, so it's like a lot of a lot of issues. So, yeah, uh, that sucks for I guess people that wanted to play The Walking Dead and never got around to it. <laughs> well, they should have got around to yeah, it. No, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's available on services more than just Steam too, right? I thought The Walking Dead in particular was on like. It's on like it was on, it's on Xbox. iTunes. It's on Xbox. It's on. Oh, it's on the Microsoft like Store and stuff like that. But I don't know if it like extends to that, and they're pulling off from there either. See if it's on the App Store. Yeah, <laughs> it might be just specifically whatever deal they had with, uh, with Valve. I guess just didn't didn't get maintained. I mean, the other thing could be like if they no longer have access to those IPs anymore, like they they just can't retain it either. And yeah. Like, where is that money going to go if people are buying it and Telltale's shutting down? Like, those little things aren't really discussed. Yeah, yeah. yeah when a studio shut down, 
and games that are existing belong to that studio. What happens to like anything that you buy? Or it's like, does it does it return to the original IP holders, which in this case would be AMC and such, right? Would they now take on that responsibility for maintaining that? I don't know. That or I I would think that the ones that are being taken down are by the original IP owners wanting to then license it out to different developers. I can see that. Well, hasn't, hasn't The Walking Dead already been picked up by another studio? I thought that very well I'm may be true. I'm fairly sure that somebody has already said that they're going to be finishing it off. Um, and if that's the case, then that's probably why it got pulled from Steam, so yeah. it's no longer listed under Telltale and yeah. will instead be listed under this other developer. Yeah, yeah. that makes more sense. <clears throat> Just, yeah, because I... It's, I guess, like, because those games didn't have any sort of, like, online server-based mechanics, did they? Uh, no, I don't think they had yeah, any major so like, components. So it, just, it doesn't seem like there would be much to maintain, per se, because if the game is already patched to the degree that it would ever be patched, you're not creating new content for it. It, it seems like, like, I have Jedi uh, Outcasts, uh, Three, four, Jedi Academy, or whatever, whatever that game was, and like, I mean, like that's on my Steam library, I think. Uh, but it's like that's a game that was made you know, fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't need any maintenance <laughs> by LucasArts. And LucasArts isn't even around, but it's like the game is still something that I can yeah. play. Yeah, right, so it's right. like, like I, that's something that's yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like the game is disappearing from your library. No, if you of course have not, it, yeah. right? Because Steam hasn't done that. Thankfully. <laughs> um, can I quickly go back to another game that just came out that uh, has to do with Detective Pikachu? Uh, Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee just came out. Oh, yeah. Um, my roommate's been playing. So, uh, I've been debating. Yeah, yeah. So have I. Pokemon on Switch. It's, it's one that I'm, I've been debating. It looks well. gorgeous. I know. You can play two players. And it's yeah. 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 cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And, it's, and it's back to the Hoenn region. Right, right. Um, so <laughs> the, the original like, region. Yeah, it's just like Pokemon. It's mainly Pokemon Yellow, yeah. but with uh, other games kind of blended into yeah. it. Yep. It's mainly plays like Pokemon Yellow. And then there's an interaction with Pokemon Go as well. Yeah, I think you can uh, bring your Pokemon yeah, across that you can catch and oh, that's cool. yeah, bring them. There's a little Pokeball controller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody so ran off with my Pokemon Yellow. Because I've, I've got like the original yeah. Pokemon Edition Game Boy Color the, with the Pokeball yeah. lights up when you turn it on, and somebody ran off with my copy that's of Yellow. so this. I it's terrible. I wear yellow belly. Like, like I understand there are people that the, the the gaming system, gaming community, whatever that like you know are are down on money or whatever, and like need need things or feel they want things. <laughs> but like, I hosted a gaming party like three years ago, maybe four years ago now, um, and like I brought my Xbox One, my PS4, my Dreamcast, like a bunch of stuff, and. Some people were playing Xbox One and Xbox 360, so I just, like, I had to leave early, and I asked a buddy of mine to, like, put them together into a bag and then, like, set them off to the side, and he supposedly did that, and then somebody walked off with it, and so, like, Uh, yeah, so somebody stole my Xbox One and Xbox 360 from a party that I, like, hosted, and I'm like, so you literally came to this party, came and, like, played all these games, and you were like, I'm gonna walk away with this, and I was like, really, like, who does that? So it's like, 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 
I hope you were enjoying that Xbox One. It was a day one edition, too. Do you hear like, that, person? Yeah. So that, that's, I hope you're that, listening. That's how a human turd out there. <laughs> but yeah, somewhere. so like, so with, I hope you get cramps. Yeah. So, um, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to snag that. Sorry, I'm yeah. going to use it as a segue into our next thing. Which is actually talking, talking about uh, retro consoles. Uh, right? <laughs> okay. So, I yeah, I want to get through that because we still have our guests today. No, I know. He was going to say something. Too. Oh, oh, it was just... I, I wasn't really that interested in Let's Go, Pikachu, and Eevee. Yeah, yeah. Um, I played Pokemon Sun or Moon. I can't really remember. Yeah. And the amount of systems... I've not played one since, yeah. like, Red or Blue. Mm-hmm. And so my my memory of Pokemon was uh, of that. And so I played... I think I played Moon. And the amount of systems and things that they put in it, yeah. I was like, this is... I, I'm not really enjoying this. I watched a review for Let's Go Pikachu yeah. and Eevee, and it was like, oh, we've we've basically remade the games that you loved for the Game Boy, removed a whole bunch of systems that, that haven't been fun over the yeah. years, and made what a lot of people are seeing as a watered-down version, to me, looks like almost the perfect Pokemon yeah. game. Mm-hmm. And, like, not having random encounters with Pokemon as you walk through um, the tall grass, they will actually, you can actually see them on the screen, you have to run after them and chase them. And I'm like, just that. Yeah. I don't yeah. have to walk through this grass thinking, oh, I'm going to get into a battle yeah. and it's going to be annoying. Yeah. And um, when you go to catch the Pokemon, you don't fight them. I believe you don't fight them. You you do it more like Pokemon Go, where you're just throwing a ball at them. And it's more about the, the game of throwing the ball at the Pokemon. So you're not going to kill them accidentally. And I'm like, it, it seems like a lot of the things that were annoying to me have been ironed yeah. out for this watered down, quotation marks for those people yeah. who can't see my hands, uh, version of Pokemon. It seems... I don't know. I'm much more interested in it now. Yeah. I kind of am, but I'm also... I know once I dig my teeth into it, I'm going to miss those deep systems. So I'm kind of like, maybe I should wait for the next one because it will be just as pretty as this one yeah. with all of the new mechanics back in. So I'm kind of like, I don't know what I should do. Have <laughs> <laughs> nostalgia kick in. Which, yeah. by the way, speaking of nostalgia, the inevitable, P- the inevitable PC joins the retro console rat race. This is from thenextweb.com. So there's a there's a company that is putting together a retro PC. It's a little miniature P- Raspberry Pi with a PC casing on it, so it allows you to do. Uh, the question in the article: This guy was just the 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 author of the article was like, "Is this a joke? Why would we re- why would we need this? Like the other consoles make sense. Why why this one? So the majority of the games." The majority of the games aren't really available, but they've said that they're working with old developers of mm-hmm. certain game titles to make sure that it is playable on their system. I can't so, wait to use Word 95. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that's what I'm sure. Is it just like a blinking yeah. MS-DOS like, icon on there? Or is it just text adventures or like Monkey Island? Or I, stuff like that? I will say there was a game that I used to play on probably Windows 95, Windows XP. Um, it's a free. It wasn't. It wasn't Minesweeper. It was Solitaire. a game. It was a game where you, you like you walked around and you you had like to pick up like different colored keys and they would open. Oh like, yeah, doors. yeah. And, uh, and then there were some like fire things and like ice things and and I can't remember what that game was called, but I like I missed that game and I like I vividly remember being a kid like going to my dad's office and like playing on his computer and like loving playing that game. Um, my is gonna have like sorry. Are they gonna have like MS Paint on there? Because you Maybe. know they discontinued that. <laughs> Microsoft was like, we're done with this. Yeah, the Maybe like, like the head would like 
eight or 16 <laughs> colors. Like it had, I think like eight regular colors and eight, then like eight hybrid colors. It was like every, every other pixel alternating colors. And, but but I, the only game that they need to have on there is that Chex shooter game that came with the cereal. Yeah. For PC. Did you guys no, play that? that? What? what? I mean, Chex <laughs> weren't really a thing yet. Oh, so uh, well, <laughs> fine. You have the, an excuse. What was the <laughs> cat and mouse cheese game? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, we're yeah. talking about where you had to like. Yeah, I just remember pinball. Pinball, pinball yeah, and the 3D, yeah. Pinball and solitaire. Chex Quest. It was basically Wolfenstein reskinned. I hope. I hope they have Mavis. Oh my god! But it was really good. Oh, wow. It's like a typing oh, tutor. Maybe like, number, oh, number munchers. Earthworm Jim. But Earthworm Jim was yeah, a that, that was Sega. Game. Yeah, yeah. I played it on the computer. Really? It was a PC yeah, game I think it came out on everything. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah I, I played be, it on the PC. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing the thing that would be the hurdle and the, the block is like all of these retro consoles, like the games that are primarily on there are games that were developed by the first party. Yes. And or specific uh, deals that were made with third party developers right. or well, second they, party yeah. developers at that <laughs> time. Um, so, so they said that they're working with the first, like the people that own the game, to get it onto their their mini PC here. And if you if you go check out the article, it's on NextWeb. Do you know how far they are? Um, no, they're still it's still in the development. As much I mean, if, it's as a what, if it's a Raspberry Pi in a small case, it's not really. Do, do you feel like making one later today? <laughs> does it come with a little keyboard and mouse? Like, yeah. how does that? No, it's supposed to hook <laughs> up to your TV. It's supposed to. How do you control it? It's all. It, all it kind of reminds me of is a Steam box. Okay. Really, that's okay. that's what they're kind of heralding this as. Huh. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, sounds silly. Uh, so and then we have it, like a little tiny piece. Yeah. This is from Rock Paper Shotgun. Uh, THQ Nordic by the studio by the studios behind or behind Wreckfest and Goat Simulator. So this is. Yeah. So these these guys are going around and they're farming. Little, uh, I was about to say younger studios. They're there. Um, small studios that don't have like a whole lot and bringing them into their, their little collective there. Um, so that's kind of interesting. That's about oh, it. Yeah, <laughs> didn't THQ like go bankrupt a while back and had to sell a lot of their properties? Yes. Uh, so now it sounds like they're trying to like come back up, yeah. which is good. Yeah. Starting with like a what, like digital, what is it, Revolver Digital? Or uh, Devolver. Devolver Digital. Like, you know, like starting indie. And then so, so just thinking of older studios and stuff like that. So with the new Spyro Reignited that just came out, I love that. How I bought it. Yeah, how passionate people are about it, and like so great. like how how great the nostalgia has been of playing that game. We've um, had a chance to play it yet. I haven't yet. No. Oh, I, it trips my brain out because yeah. it's 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 recent enough for me that my brain's like, no, no, wait, yes, maybe. I don't understand what's happening here, yeah. and that's all I get while I'm playing the game. That's funny. <laughs> That's cool, but but so like wondering if like if they were to remake like the original Tony Hawk Pro Skater or Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two, like would it <clears throat> would it be something that gave us that nostalgia, or would it be something where we were like, wow, this game was really crappy? Because Rufford and Sons come in and cover all the songs. Oh, <laughs> 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 I'd be so dumb. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to hear the album. I sometimes just go on YouTube and I pull up the album. Dude, and Spotify, to it. they have all playlists of yeah. all of the Tony Hawk's Really? Games. Yeah. Oh, man. I know what we're listening to on the drive back. <laughs> uh, um, so, I mean, they did that. 
they they did a um, was it was it a was it sorry. I think it was like five years four five years ago they did a it was almost like a Tony Hawk's Greatest Hits. Oh, okay. Um, but it was terrible, yeah. not because they remade a game that is outdated, but because they did. It was just full of bugs. Yeah, it didn't Scar. feel as good. <laughs> hey, that is not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> just telling the time. <laughs> um, this was made in like that one two-year window. <laughs> Well, that's like, do you guys remember uh, Need for Speed Underground 2? Yes. Yeah. And the soundtrack opening that up, like, do bet, do bet, no, bet, no, okay. Like, well, like, shorting it low and then, like, uh, oh, to the yeah. window, to the wall. I don't know Need for Speed Underground 1. Was that one? Yeah. Oh, man. What a, like, yeah. those, those games. I remember I would, that introduced me to that song. Oh, really? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have any idea yeah. what it was about until yeah. a little yeah. bit later. <laughs> Was that the radio cut of that yes, song? Yes, it was too? a radio yeah, cut of that song. Skeet, skeet. Ah, skeet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, skeet, skeet, got... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Move! Ah, get yeah. out! <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. I, don't, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than probably most of the people here. Um, sorry. Um, but I remember, like, middle school dances where they would play that song and, like, everybody's just, like, yelling at the top of the lungs and, like, all of the swear words and just like the the teachers who were like the chaperones were like no like <laughs> I'm sorry we can have school fun without there are like there are people grinding over there making out over yeah. there and like yelling swear words like you, you're gonna have to give this one up that's one of my favorite things yeah I, middle, middle school middle grind schoolers train, grinding the grind train that people like everybody gets together <laughs> and it's just like a long train of people just like living. I don't know what middle school you went <laughs> I, I was. I, my middle school, most of my middle school was spent overseas. Oh. I, I spent one year in an American school. I spent like three years in total in American school. And the rest of it was like, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Being a military brat, like, I, I, that is weird. Yeah. I was talking more about uh, people swearing while other oh, people yeah. were trying to bring it down. <laughs> yeah. I remember there was yeah. a um, Reading Festival BBC cover the whole weekend yeah. of this big festival. And uh, there was a band, a, a bigger band, that were headlining that played a smaller stage where they just did like an acoustic set, yeah. a secret acoustic set, and they did a cover of Killing in the Name of. Except they didn't, they cut out all of the F words yeah. during the song, except the entire crowd sang it <laughs> every single time. So this is broadcast live on the BBC, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry about this. <laughs> it's like, yes! What made that wonderfully, for the listeners here, what made that hilarious is the, the neck scruff pull <laughs> yeah. on his shirt. <laughs> I think the entire BBC were doing that at that point. <laughs> Lots of broken neck collars yeah. on their uh, shirts. I just want to go uh, real quickly back to like the Spyro Reignite. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I'm playing the game. I bought it. It's uh, it's across systems, mostly. I bought it on the Xbox. Uh, and the cool thing that I... The cool thing that I that I heard about it recently, this is something that one of our members, Joel, who we've had on the podcast before, um, spoke on, was that during the creation of the game, what they did in order to start making all of the levels was they actually put in a, like a system that would record them playing through the levels so that they could understand. Because at the time, they weren't uh, fully in with uh, Insomnia, the original mm -hmm. creators of the game. So that's how most of it is. I don't know if you guys remember playing Spyro a whole lot. It's one of the games that I grew up playing. It's, one of, it's, it's like one of the original games on the PS1. And... It was always kind of floaty then. Now it feels like 
like it's floaty. It feels a lot like the original, but that the floaty mechanics are like two times what it was. Mm-hmm. And so I was mentioning to Daniel and Michael before we started the show how I was like, I have you can twitch the, you know how you can kind of like twitch this twitch the stick and you guys take off in one direction, take off in another. Yeah, yeah um, 360 Yeah, so I do. <laughs> so I hit it at one point where I, I was like trying to go straight and I was trying to dodge a bad guy, but also trying to work the camera at the same time. And I moved too fast, I guess. And it's so responsive that when I did that, the camera swung out of the way, swung, shot me looking in a different direction. Spyro shot off in the opposite direction <laughs> off the platform. That's <laughs> it was just like, what? So the two things I wish they'd fix about it is how floaty it is. I wish that you could adjust the sensitivity. Mm-hmm. You can't. And I also wish you had ways of turning on subtitles. You can't turn uh, on subtitles. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a bizarre thing to yeah, not. Especially yeah. when you have a script that you <laughs> right. yeah. worked off of. And the cool thing about it, though, is like we're going to have to start putting on a rule to keep your... <laughs> yeah, just turn it, put it on silent. It's an alarm. Yeah, no... Um, the uh, the cool thing that I really liked is each of the dragons that you kind of rescue through. I'm playing through the first game right yeah, now. Yeah. Each of the dragons that you rescue all have personalities. Like you really define personalities on them. Well, it's an in insomniac game. Right? Yeah, just in their. Mm, no, I don't think Insomniac made this one. I think the original. Like, I mean, yes, Insomniac. Yeah. I yes. realized that Insomniac did the original. That was, yeah. Their Insomniac sense. is famous for their high quality animation in all mm-hmm. their games, right? And they they do such a great job of, of showing such personality yeah. in all of their characters. So in the original, these characters didn't really have much of a costume to them. They were just dragons. Mm-hmm. In this newer one, they actually gave them like clothing and things like mm-hmm. that. Like my favorite dragon that I've came across so far is the guy that has, uh, he's got like a shish kebab. He's got like a whole chicken and some other meat. And then on his tail, he's got like some vegetables and fruit. <laughs> fruits that are kind of there and they're all charcoal and stuff so it's very clear that this guy likes to cook and he says his dialogue is talking about how you can just like flame boil these birds so they <laughs> get through the level and that's how they actually teach you to defeat some of the enemies mm. um but it's not it doesn't always work that well anyways it's really good i enjoy it so i'm enjoying it so far it's definitely hitting my nostalgia feel real good so, so back real quick back mm-hmm. to the the controls thing I wonder if the floatiness feeling uh, is new to this version, or if you went back and played the yeah. old one, like back-to-back, right next to each other, mm-hmm. if it would feel the same. It's just that now that you're so used to newer game mechanics, the older ones feel clunkier. Yeah, that's a good question. So, that's a good one. Well, one last thing, and then we got to jump into Scott. Can I, speaking yeah. of... Into discussion on Scott. So speaking of Insomniac and animations and how they... Uh, build character into animations. Yeah. Um, I saw this video and I'm going to share it uh, to this group and hopefully we can share it out with the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but of the original or like the developer for Spider-Man 2 uh, playing Spider-Man PS4 for the first time yeah. and just seeing his his interaction like he didn't he, he knew the game came out he knew a little bit about the game but didn't know much about it and like him playing that game and like they literally basically like hand recreated like the swinging arcs the launches like that kind of stuff a lot of that comes from spider-man 2 right um, and just listening to him talking about like how they built 
those swinging mechanics and like how much of a hurdle it was to even get those mechanics into Spider-Man 2 um, to then see him playing it and like just watching him like visually you can see like the light in, it ha- in his eyes like get excited as he's playing it and like he's he doesn't even know how to express what he's feeling but it's just cool to like see that um, and so I'm going to share that but yeah, I want yeah, to see Insomniac with their animations, like, really do just such a fantastic job of making you feel a connection to their characters, whether it's making you feel like you're Spider-Man, whether it's making you feel like this character you're talking to is a close friend or whatever it is, like, they do such a great job. So, yeah, um, and, uh, you know, they've had great success with Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, I, hear, I hear it sold really well. Yeah. People are really loving the game. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. Uh, but if you haven't gotten a chance, their last game came out a couple years ago, Sunset Overdrive, yeah. and that game is also a lot of fun. I, it just came out on PC. Oh, nice. that's right. Yes, it did. Oh, another game of theirs that I really enjoyed was Resistance. Yes, okay. I haven't played yeah. that one. One hundred percent. Resistance was. So, I mean, if you want to talk about really solid storytelling there too, it was beautifully done. But I, I didn't get to play in play three, but I hear that three was so just like heart heartbreaking that by the time you get to the end, people were just like, I cried. And, and that one's <laughs> the, the shooter? Yes, yes. Yes. Three yes. launch title. Yeah, it's one of their first uh, FPSs that they had done. Like, I think they, it's the only FPS yeah, series they've done. I don't think they've done it. Well, well Sunset Overdrive is still considered yeah. like... Yeah. A it's a shooter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. yeah it was... With Resistance, it was kind of annoying because it was around the time when people weren't adopting the PS3 yeah. and not that many people have played it. And it was fantastic. It was oh, so yeah. much fun yeah. that they they make great guns. If you play any of the Ratchet and Clank games, you know that they just make yes. insanely great guns. And they've done that for for this as well. They had you had kind of your average uh, human guns, but then you have the alien and the, the technology that they bring. But one of the best features about it, and this is something that I've always loved from a young age, is playing co-op. Even if the game doesn't, it doesn't make sense for there to be co-op in the yeah. game. It doesn't matter. I want to be able to plug in yeah. the second um, joystick as we did on the Commodore Amiga and Commodore 64 and everything and just be able to play. And Resistance 2, you could have a second player. It made no sense that he had a companion. It yeah. wasn't a game where he should have had any companion, but it's just another player on there that you can go through and annihilate these hordes of aliens and have oh, yeah. fun with. And I'm like, D- just do that in more games. Yeah. I mean, obviously can do it. I know that there's it, there's a lot more than just putting a second player in, but, but if you can, yeah. then do it. And it, with Pokemon Let's Go and um, Pikachu and Eevee, it sounds like that they've done exactly that. It yeah. doesn't really yeah. make sense that there's a second person. You shake a Joy-Con and he puts you in the game with them. You shake it and it removes them again. Yeah. Um, well, that so, explains it. We didn't know how I popped into the game. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah you, 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 just, you just shake a second Joy-Con and you're there. Oh, and awesome. Kirby's Epic Yarn was a similar deal. Yeah, like, I love didn't that. Need a second and the new Kirby as well. It, it was a lot of oh, yeah, the new Kirby. I don't like the way the new Kirby played. I don't. So, in the new newer Kirby, which is All Star or something like that, mm-hmm. where you all follow in a line. And so, the first, pers- the first person is the one that's really controlling. And right, you right. just kind of run around behind them all in a single formation to fight whatever. I don't really care much for that because I want to be able to like run off a little and explore. I'd rather go along the lines of like uh, Streets of Rage where I can like go in a different direction. We can't move until we've defeated all the enemies right, and right. we're all moving together, right? That makes more sense than all of us traveling in a single line. Yeah. So, um, I know like, I said like, what no, 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 it's okay. But, but I mean, co op is something that like I have always 
passionately loved. Like I was, I was the younger brother, so it's like I always wanted to play games with my brother. Yeah, and it was like when Perfect Dark came out, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, we can play Goldeneye together. This is the coolest thing, and you're not just gonna beat me and destroy me, and I'm gonna lose. It's like we can play together. Yeah. Um, and like those feelings of being able to do that, and that's one thing that like I will give Microsoft and, and Xbox uh, credit for. They have that uh, com- companion mode or whatever mode where it's like you can you can map keys. It doesn't matter. The developer hasn't doesn't have to do right, anything, right. but you can map uh, the controls to two controllers. So even if they don't have uh, wow, yeah, so so even if they don't have a co-op mode, you can still like hand a controller to like a four or five year old and it's just like press this A button when you want me to blow like like say you're playing Raiden or something like that. Like you want the big bomb, you give that big bomb to, you know, somebody else and it's like whenever you whenever there's too many people on the screen, just push this button and it gives that like that accessibility yes. in a way and you can map it however you want. And like that's something that I wish every console had. Microsoft has really been leading the charge on accessibility features. Yeah, and, and you know, controllers, yeah. control remapping, uh, and support for, for so many options. Plus their new controller that's gonna be coming out soon. Yeah. With the new packaging that they made for accessibility. Right, mm-hmm. right. So yeah, they're leading the charge. What else is leading the charge? Freelancers. Yeah. <laughs> it's got now time to talk about stuff. All right. Yeah. Before we do that, before we go and talk and meet our guests, let's go ahead and run through our shout outs. We'll do it really quickly. Thank you to Nirvana. Thank you to Trey. And thank you to Anwar. There's the three we usually thank. They've all been super awesome about either helping us or letting us put on the podcast. So thank you so much. Now, get into Scott Mokes. Out for something Hello. completely different. <laughs> I know. Welcome <laughs> to the stage, Gentleman Ninja, uh, who is joining us now. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, Scott, do you want to give us a little uh, yeah, give us quick synopsis on, on what you're all about? Absolutely. Um, so, I guess I'll make it, try and make it quick, but I'll, I'll start kind of at the start. So, um, I went to university in England, originally from there, from Nottingham. I went to the University of Lincoln to do a games computing course which essentially taught you a little bit of everything about games um in my final year i really honed in on programming i actually hated programming at the time and it was one of those where it annoyed me that i couldn't really do it so i ended up putting more time into it ended up loving it and then i guess that's what i do now um went and worked for jagex in cambridge who make runescape um, I was working on their follow-up, Stellar Dawn, uh, which ended up getting cancelled, unfortunately. But that did open the opportunity for me to go in and make mobile games for them because they had a they had a, a game portal full of very small games uh, called Funob. And uh, it was around the time, I think it was around the iPhone 3G, if you remember okay. when they used to put yeah. Gs on yeah, the end yeah, yeah, of the... Yeah. And so the... the Mobile games were, were getting bigger and it was a, a, a much more uh, viable option for companies. And so I've been looking into this for a while and I'd actually made a game, a very, very small game called Irene, which was a, a friend of mine had taken a, a side profile picture of him doing two frames of walking <laughs> and then used that as the animation and you had to dodge falling acid rain. It was extremely basic. And I can actually remember some of the 
code that I wrote for it and it hurts me a little bit. Just <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it paved the way. And so I ended up making some mobile games for Jagex um, and working with them for a, a few years. I then met my lovely wife, Megan, over in England um, and moved over here to, to Dallas, worked for a digital agency for four or five years and essentially sp spent my time making client-based games for mainly for mobile, but kind of anything that, that they would want. And so it was short projects, um, a lot of finding a, a game mechanic that worked nicely and then exploring that as much as possible. Um, and that's what I, I tend to do. So right now I'm freelancing, so I'm taking on client work, whether it's uh, game development or just digital experiences, kind of anything digital, um, while also making my own games. And so last year I released Gentleman Ninja that uh, me and my best friend from back in England put together. Uh, we talked for a long time about making a game together and he's an incredible artist. And even though we're 6,000 miles away from each other, it was very, very easy. We, we, we worked really well together and he, I knew as soon as I, I talked to him about the game idea that he, I could, you know, just give it to him, let him just work with it and do what he does. And he, he, in no time, had come back with a fantastic character for it and great ideas for the environment. And so we spent a few months putting that together. And um, so we released that February 2017. And I just recently finished doing an update for that and, and pushed it out to the App Store. Now, where can they find Gentleman Ninja? So Gentleman Ninja is on the iOS App Store and it is free. So please go download it. Uh, let me know what, what, what you think is it. So this um, it's an arcade action game. It's uh, like I was saying before, I really like the idea of uh, thinking up a, a, a game mechanic and really exploring that as much as much as I can. So I come up with this idea that it's kind of travel by color. Um, essentially what you're presented with is a, a ninja, the gentleman ninja. Uh, he is in the, in the center of the screen. It is a, a top-down view and you can see enemies uh, further up the screen in front of him and they're either red or blue. You have two buttons, red and blue. Based on the color that's coming next, the, the color of the enemy that's coming next, you hit the right color, and he will attack them. So you, um, red enemy coming next, you hit the red button, he'll animate towards the enemy and slice them in half. And so one thing, uh, I guess it's always kind of nice to bring in aspects of other parts of your life that you know. So uh, I've I've been a drummer for a long time, very much a hobbyist. I'm not particularly good at all. Um, but it was it was really cool to to look at how rhythm and drum beats can be brought into something that when you're playing the game, I don't think you would ever really think about it. Mm -hmm. It's something you don't really see. But the uh, the patterns of the enemies that come up are all based on drum beats, even if it's like red, blue, red, 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 blue, red, red. It's like boom, 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 boom. And so it was kind of thinking of drum beats that would that would work. And 
I, if it kind of gives it a bit more of a cohesiveness than just completely random. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, an endless game that you, mm. you, you just kind of chopping and slicing. I go for like high score. Yes, it's all, yeah. all high score based. <laughs> um, there's some challenges in there to unlock other ninjas. Um, I, I, that's one of the things that I really uh, like about the game. Like, I, I really like games where there's like unlockable uh, via achievements. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of reminds me of, we were talking about GoldenEye earlier, like it kind of reminds me of being able to unlock different cheats or whatever. Um, for this, it's unlocking costumes and unlocking just kind of a new, fun way to play the game and a new design for the game. So. Yeah, so that's that's one thing that, I mean, I've, I've been looking at the, the mobile landscape for years now, and watching how monetization has changed in, game, in mobile games and what people do with them, there's a lot of different options of, of where you can take it and one of the big ones that I'm sure we've all seen is in our purchases, yeah. paying for unlocks. Mm -hmm. And that's something that it's, it's difficult because I, as an indie developer, I obviously want to make money. I want to be able to carry on making these games and earn enough to do that. So you've got to look at all the monetization options. Yeah. Right, right. But there are definitely ones that I feel are more ethical than others. Um, there are advertisements in the game. I'm not actually a big fan of that. But when you don't have the money to market a game, um, if you're if you're basing your monetization on purchases, whether it's in-app or the initial cost of the game, it's very difficult to convince somebody to play it. Um, if the game is free, then it's much easier. There's there's no barrier there. But then you have to do something like advertisements or, or whatever and you you're working more on the basis of okay i need a lot of people to play this to make any money from it than right. a smaller right. amount that will pay a, a small bit so going back to the unlocks um i've i mean i'm i can't even think how old i'm 32 <laughs> i've been playing games my entire life and i i'm used to the games where you play to unlock things yeah. not pay mm -hmm. to unlock so that was that was something that I really wanted to do was for the for you to have to play the game to unlock them. Um, there is absolutely no way to purchase them, and I don't know it was it was something maybe monetarily it wasn't the best idea, but I that it was just kind of one of those things I wanted from this game. So I want to back up real quick. I'm sorry, did you have a question? Oh, I just wanted to make a terrible joke. Okay, well I'm going to back up real quick. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about a little bit about freelancing and game, indie game development, mm -hmm. right? Because for a lot of uh, indie game developers, you really want to make a career, but they have to get fight to get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, so the way that they do that in between is take on contracts. Can you talk a little bit about how you managed to sustain a freelance career as well as be an indie developer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing is definitely time management, which I'm not always good at. That's, that's for sure. Um, it's. I think when you when you get projects that uh, that you're getting paid for, it's easy to ignore the things that you're not being paid for. So, I've I've always got kind of different game ideas and different things going on that I want to be developing. But if I've got a freelance project, there's definitely a sense of this is more important. Somebody's paying me to do this. I'm obliged to 
to get it done and to the above the 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 work that is mine and that I want to do for me. Um, so it's it definitely is striking a balance between what you can afford. So if you if you're going to fill your entire week with eight nine hour days of freelance work, then you either need to have the free time and energy outside of that to work on your own stuff, or you need to, or you, just, I mean, you're not going to work on that. And so it's like, okay, well, can I reduce the amount of hours that I'm doing freelance to afford myself some actual work time to do my own stuff? And it's, I kind of do a bit of a combination of that. I, I, I'm a morning person, so I'll, I'll wake up and maybe do an hour or two of my own on my own projects before moving on to the freelance stuff. Um, and then depending on how well my games are doing, I can reduce the amount of freelance work I actually need to do to spy. And it's just finding all of that balance and getting a little bit annoyed with yourself when you don't. <laughs> Where do you usually, do people just come to you and say, hey, I need a programmer? Or do you find that work on your own? How do, how do you get that? So... It's definitely connections. Everyone always says, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And it's like, I know this is a cliche, but that is absolutely a, a true thing. Um, it definitely helped working for a digital agency where, um, I mean, there's, there was maybe 25, 30 people working there who now are all in different places, all working in very, very, very similar jobs to what they were doing before. Um, that need developers when they take on too much work, when somebody leaves and they, they need someone to pick up the slack. And so knowing all of those people and the companies that they've gone to and and then the the different relationships that you create from there, you just, I've, I've kind of gotten to the point where people will contact me, um, but I'll also contact them and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm free at the moment. Have you guys got any extra work that you've, uh, that you need help with and you tend to find that a lot of these companies do have the work they because they're in a similar boat to you where they're essentially freelancers for other companies and so they'll take on more work than they can handle because they can't afford a time where there's not work and so they'll they'll come to someone like me who can help them out during that time so can you talk a little bit as well to um like these aren't always game companies that reach no. out to you, and you're not always working on games. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And so that's that's the other thing. I mean, if I, if I had the choice, I would I'd take games over other things. Um, but there are a lot of companies that are doing not necessarily games, but digital experiences that are a ton of fun to work on, and require the same skill set as game developers. Yeah. Um, whether that is, you know, uh, like digital installations, kiosks. Uh, I recently worked on a project for a uh, natural sciences museum in Arlington where they want to do an educational piece where you would come in and there's a connect camera that would track your movement and you can do all different things, uh, interacting with the wildlife that you would find in Texas and around that area. And so it's, it's, it's very closely related to games, but it, and so it, it, it does take a lot of the 
similar kind of skill set. But then there are also things that are completely unrelated to games. Being so heavy into mobile game development, you also pick up a lot of exactly how the the phone works, um, the native code that you would that you would write for the for the phones to make certain functionality work to the point where you can then make apps and there are companies that want you know anything a customer service app to where it's it's a very similar similar skill set you you're always thinking about how can i make the experience as enjo- as enjoyable for the customer as possible um but it's not it's not quite the same you know i'm not I'm not having ninjas jump around a customer service app and slash up all of the UI and things, but it is UI work, and you would do UI work in your game as well. Um, Hell of an Easter egg, though. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should stop doing that. <laughs> I, put, I put on... It's, uh, I actually haven't like fully built out the, um, the full functionality yet, but like on my website, like I put the Konami code in. Nice. So that, like, you know, like... A little pop-up will happen so that you can do that and i think that that would be kind of like i mean i feel like you'd probably have to pass it by the uh the actual person you're yeah. working with yeah so be careful with stuff that. <laughs> but, but it would be interesting to to be building i mean that's probably something as well like one of the ways that you could add value to some of these companies you work with is discussing that aspect of like making it more engaging making it more fun yeah not in a not in a being morally uh, right about it, not 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 trying to get people hooked on using this app in the way that gamification as a buzzword gets used sometimes, but probably more as a way to. So businesses, more and more businesses are looking how to gamify their, a lot of their stuff. So I can see you getting a lot of, of work in there. And I, when I mean like a lot of their stuff, I mean. Uh, like how to increase uh, employer employee retention or attention or something like that. Um, how to keep them involved. How to make sure they're still getting the thing. They gamify a lot of their systems. Uh, so there are some some companies that I know that are going that route too. Uh, so I mean, on on that real quick, it, I've definitely had uh, th- there's been times when we've had companies to us and they want the gamification of their reward system and that type of thing and that's fine um but it's i i tend to find it this is absolutely just a personal opinion that the it's like i'm trying not to use cliches (laughs) just (laughs) but but finding the fun in in how uh a ui works and you like ui interactions and stuff to me, is more important than gamification of a reward system or something like that. Like, it's so nice when you open an app and the the way that things animate on and and how buttons change and fade and transition and what have you. When all of those things feel right and feel tight and look nice, it makes the whole experience a lot better. And I, I prefer to use it. And I prefer that side of gamification. How do I make the little interactions yes. fun? So the UX side. Yes. Yeah. And exactly. I want to back up again. Uh, back up to Gentleman Ninja. Now, when I first met you, Scott, you were going. You were invited to a talk about accessibility. Yeah. You were looking. Uh, you had actually created a black and white mode mm-hmm. for your game to help with 
colorblind people that can't really play it. Like my roommate's red, green, uh, red, blue, colorblind, so he wouldn't be able to play your game without that. Um, can you talk a little bit on that? Like, yeah, absolutely. So one of the, I mean, make it, making an indie game, you want to make a game that can be played by as many people as possible. You, you know, it's, if you're excluding any, anybody, you're doing yourself a disservice, you're doing them a disservice. Yeah. And so it's like, if you can make the game, if you can see a weakness in your game that could cause an issue for people to play it, then why not fix it? And <clears throat> the game being solely based on color. And my wife's actually colorblind, not to the extent where she wouldn't be able to play this, but I thought, you know, we, we actually play a hell of a lot of games together. Um, and the thought of if she couldn't play it based on something that isn't her fault at all, then it, that just isn't good. And it's, it's such a small game that the overhead of fixing that wasn't much. And I think that's one thing that is a big struggle for a lot of companies is that the task of making a game accessible might be more than what they see as a reward. And I don't like that, but at the end of the day, they're a business. So I understand it. Um, with us, you know, we, we, we kind of, we had the time to do it and I really wanted to make it to where as many people as possible could play the game. So with it being all based on color, um, I figured I'd do, well, we, we tried a few things, we tried a, a black and white version um, and a pattern version. And I found a couple of people on Twitter that um, were involved in the accessibility and games scene and talked to them about who, who should be testing this, who should be looking at it. And so we, we got people with uh, varying uh, colorblind conditions to play it and we ended up actually with two different options and it's just based on contrast and the way that we outline them um, because there, there are actually a lot more forms of colorblindness than I knew about um, and some work for some people some ways would work for others and we're like okay well let's just let's put both of them in because you know, we'll end up putting one in that fixes it for some people, but not for us. Why not? We've, we've done the work. We'll put them both in there. And so I actually went up to uh, WWDC because Apple had picked up on this, that, uh, that we'd put the colorblind mode in. And they were, um, they were doing a big push for accessibility in tech. And so they, they want people to kind of showcase what they've been doing and how they've done it. Um, and that was completely crazy, completely eye-opening to me. Of, I'm talking to the accessibility team and uh, going through with them all of the different ways that you can make your game and your app accessible and having it tested by people um, with all sorts of different disabilities. And it, it made me realize how much, I sh how much more I should be doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was a great experience. It was really, really good. I got some fantastic advice, um, and just really saw how how that process can be grown upon. So you said you found. Hmm? I was just saying that's it. Oh, yes, because you 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 guys are Gearbox is doing a lot with accessibility. Yeah. Um. No, 
you said that you had some people, you found some people on Twitter that helped you helped you out. And do you find it hard to find people to help you game test your stuff? Not really. No. I mean, there's there, there's so many people out there. Um, I think I maybe used Twitter a little differently to I, I I don't know. I guess I don't really talk to people about how they use Twitter, but my the people that I follow are 95% game developers and people in the games industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, whenever I'm scrolling through and I see somebody that is you know, specific to something that might be of interest to me, I'll be sure to make note of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually around the time, as soon as I started posting about the Gentleman Ninja colorblind mode, people started getting in contact with me saying hey oh this this is really cool i'm i appreciate you doing this mm-hmm. and so then it's just easy to reply and say hey does this affect you in any way um can we talk about it because nine times out of ten the people who are affected by um any of these or, or would need the accessibility features want to see it in games and so they're gonna they want to help because they're like well yeah i mean if if you can if you can fix this for me and so i can play the game then why wouldn't I help you get it tested, make sure it's right, and you know, make sure it's going to work for other people? Awesome. Uh, I wanted to touch up on one subject you're talking about real quick. Uh, <clears throat> you mentioned uh, your your time management and balance mm-hmm. between your game projects and your freelance work, uh, and I'm curious how uh, how many hours would you say on average you end up working a week? Um, while trying to balance that between those two areas? Um, it depends. <laughs> um, I, when I'm doing, when I, I have a full-time freelance project on, I will do eight hours a day on the, the freelance project. Usually, I mean, depending on uh, how, how it works out with the client of the, the time frame. But I mean, usually they want it as quick as possible. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be putting in Eight hours a day for you. I don't tend to go over that, and that's something that I I try to be as strict about as possible, so that I do have time to do these other things. If I take on more work than that, there's no way that I'm going to work on my own stuff. Um, I would say that I probably end up working ten hours a day, um, and I guess I justify that by I work from home. Yeah, um, I don't have a commute, so ten hours is much easier to fit in without traveling anywhere because you know i'm not 45 minutes to an hour um i mean even working downtown the actual journey took me 20 minutes but then it's parking walking from where you park to the office ends up being about 45 minutes i can save that and apply it to my own stuff right right. um so yeah so yeah it really depends on what i've got going on um for the past Three weeks I've been working full time on my own work, and so that's that's another thing that I do try to do is give myself the time where I don't have anything freelance on, and this is definitely dependent on what I can afford and um, you know what workload is out there. Um, but yeah, so for the last few weeks I've been working on a new game concept and working solely on that. So, and then, and during that time, I'll probably work eight hours a day and not pick up anything else elsewhere. And that's that's definitely something I know that 
you know, crunch and burnout and everything is is big buzzwords at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah, it's the talk of the town. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> I I've been through different periods of my game development life where I've worked till four or five AM where I've been forced to work till those times and I know what it does to me. I know how much I hate it and I know how I felt coming out of that there was I didn't see any upside to it whatsoever. And to the point where I was like, do I want to be in the games industry? Like, mm -hmm. what? who would put themselves through this amount of stress and think, oh, this is good. I should stay in this industry. This is exactly, exactly what I love. Maybe there are those people. I'm definitely not one of those people. And so it made me realize that no matter what, that, that lifestyle isn't for me. And so I needed, to way, needed a way to put myself in a position where that isn't the case. And I know that you, you speak to so many people and they say games can't be made without crunch and it's, it's part of the industry and you just have to deal with it. And I was like, I'm, that's, I'm sorry, but I love making games and I'm going to carry on making games, but I'm not, I'm not going to put up with that. Um, so yeah, that's I. Ultimately, that's what I, I try to do. If if that means that I'm doing a little bit less of my my own work, then that's that's what happens. And I know that there will be times when I can pick up on it again, and that's what I do. And it's it's nice to have that balance. And then you know, six o'clock comes around, I don't do any more work, and it's my evening. Uh, play some Fortnite with my wife. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think that's all the time we have today. Thank you very much, Scott, for coming on. Thank you on. very so much for having how, me. How can people connect with you, Scott? Mm -hmm. um, so I am on Twitter, uh, at Moxie, M-O-A-K-E-S-Y. That's probably the best place. Um, I am on Facebook, but I don't ever really go on it. So. Do you have a website where they can look at any game projects that you have? Absolutely, yeah. So I, um, I just finished putting together my freelancing website that I got a lot of help from David over here for. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it, it a lot. Looks good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so if you go to Mokes Games, M-O-A-K-E-S games.com, um, that has information about uh, the, the freelancing work that I do and some past projects. Um, but if, if you want to kind of keep up to date with what I'm doing dev work day to day my twitter is usually the best place for it it's it's actually pretty great to follow uh, the game you're working on right now it has some really fun gifs and uh, screenshots thank you very much yeah. awesome so follow him there uh you can also join if you like to join us you can go to uh, you, you, uh, where'd my brain go uh so thursdays and fridays uh, thursday we're at whole foods up on the road that's at uh, thursday and on fridays we're here at nerdvana both clubs start at 8 a.m. or you can join us on our on our second Tuesday of every month at Brain Dead Brewing. That starts at 7:30. Last last Tuesday. Last, yes, month. thank you. Last Tuesday of every month, and that starts about 7:30. 7:30 at Brain Dead. Yeah, 7:30 at Brain Dead. Yeah, PM. Not in the morning. And if you can't make it to any of those, please continue to listen to us here or check out our stuff. Online. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, all right, guys. See you next time. Be safe. <laughs>